Torah isn't education, it's transformation. This is Chai Chinuch with Rabbi G. 101.9 Chai FM, Chai Chinuch with Rabbi G. We are back, as we do every Monday between 2 to 3, where we discuss education, Chinuch, how to make the world a better place, but starting on the opposite side, how to make us better people, how to influence our families, our community, our country, and then the world, how to just learn, educate, and get up to date with anything happening in the professional and educational world. And every week, a new topic, a new discussion, as you choose. So anything you would like to hear about or discuss or add or share. And lately, we've been getting quite some a uh, few calls, I'd say, into the show, which was beautiful and nice to hear from the listeners. So please, SMS us, 34519 is the SMS line, Telegram 061-895-1019. Again, SMS 34519 and Telegram 0618951019 or call at 0101403020. If you have anything to add onto the show, discuss anything you'd like to share, learn about, this is your time. So today we are going into a very interesting discussion, interview with Lindy. Lindy is in OT from CARE. She actually is the head of the vocational stream at CARE. CARE is in a school for kids on the spectrum, and the vocational stream focuses on kids ages 12 to 18, and Lindy is the OT and the leading uh, person managing that place. So, And we're going to be discussing all about kids on the spectrum, uh, how to manage, how to work with them, and especially wanted to speak about Spectrum today because, you know, we are reaching unto Pesach and so many changes with what we eat, with what we do, with how we clean the house. The Everything's out of routine, different, unstructured, and any of our children on the Spectrum are definitely struggling these days. And, you know, some of us are struggling regardless of not even being neurotypical with all this change of everything. So let's discuss a bit and learn about of creating that structure and how we want to manage that. Good afternoon, Lindy. Thank you so much for being with us today. Good afternoon, Rabbi G. Thank you so much for having me here. It's a pleasure. As I saw when I came, I haven't seen you in quite a few years since we've True. met at CARE, but I guess it's time. So first, just a few words about your position in CARE and what you do. Um, like you mentioned, I give occupational therapy sessions to some of the learners at CARE, um, and I'm also managing the vocational stream, which is um, quite a new development in our organization because now we are looking at integrating some of our older learners into the workplace and just successful integration into the society and in the home environment as well. So the program is slightly different to what we used to because we're looking at more functional skills and assimilating real-life situation, bringing them into the center and then um, adopting them back to societies and in the workplace. What are the skills that you're finding that we are lacking today as a society? And that obviously has a huge effect on the spectrum world as well. I think it's the understanding part because um, our learners have challenges with social skills. Um, I find that with some individuals, they struggle to understand the challenges that our learners have with uh, regards to greeting, managing a lot of social contexts. Um, sometimes I take some of my learners for job shadowing skills and we get clients that um, get upset that this child didn't greet me, this is rude, they're not looking at me. Um, 
but they just don't want to understand. We really try as much as we can to give education and to lay it out so they understand all the parts that have to do with autism, what it presents with, what it looks like, and how do we manage it. But not everybody has um, the understanding and the awareness of how to manage that situation as it happens. As a society, are we aware of spectrum? And are we learning to be more accommodating? Um, we are going there. <laughs> it's April. We're on the right direction. We're on the, we right, on the right direction. Okay, so yes. maybe we need to learn and understand a bit more on that and to see what we can do as a society and the different levels and different challenges that we can face and find. As you know, I just saw actually yesterday a study that showed that in the past five years in the worldwide, we've grown in evaluations of spectrum 130%. Oh, in five wow. years. So it's definitely a huge group in the community and in the nation, in the world, that we need to learn to understand and to communicate better with. We do need to take a short break and then discuss a bit more about what we see and how we can learn to communicate. There's an announcement coming first. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. 101.9, we are back here in a fascinating discussion. I'm here with Lindy from CARE. She is an OT managing the vocational stream at CARE. And we just, right before the break, started discussing about awareness to kids on the spectrum or maybe adults on the spectrum or anybody around us. And spectrum is a spectrum, as we call it, from kids and adults that are low-functioning to people that we would never know are going through a challenge, but they are. And... We need to be sensitive and look out and reach out to them. Anything you want to add or thoughts, your experience with meeting somebody in the spectrum, maybe your experience with being a family member of somebody on the spectrum, how they integrate in society and how we can make the life better for them and what we need to know, please share. 34519 is the SMS line. Anything you'd like to share about or ask about spectrum, or Telegram, 061-895-1019, Telegram line, 061-895-1019. Or you could even call in at 0101-403020 to discuss here with me and Lindy. So let's talk about Spectrum and maybe start about identifying when you're in the shops, when you're in a place that... You know, there's a lot of movement, interaction, and you spot somebody who is not managing to be nice or focus or communicate. And I don't want to start necessarily with kids that are low functioning or kids that are obvious. So many of the spectrum people, you wouldn't see on them and you can mistake them for being rude or you can mistake them for being ignorant. How do we relate to them and how do we support them? You're actually right. Sometimes you um, come across somebody and you do not know what's happening. They do come across as rude. But if you have the knowledge and the education and like us, we work in the field with the experience that we have, it's easier to identify and try to help as much as we possibly can. I find that what you, what is actually helpful lately is to give education to a lot of other organizations like shopping um shopping complexes or sh um, the actual shops like checkers shop right and communicate with them about what autism actually is and that's what our school does we will take them to the actual 
shop and we educate the people within that environment about what to expect, what it looks like. So if they come across those challenges, they are equipped to manage it um, accordingly. Uh, but unfortunately, if you do not know, you will then walk away and avoid um, the situation or react in a manner that That's is That's actually a very helpful. good point because, uh, you know, I, I know from my clients and, and I've had situations of people speaking to me that their child on the spectrum had a full meltdown in the shopping center and the security did not know how to deal they thought something's wrong they they there was a real challenge however we are finding quite a bit of awareness i mean mm-hmm. i was uh, it's, i was contacted not long ago by a recruitment field company who are willing to uh, you know hire kids and adults on the spectrum to see what they can learn and how they can be accommodating mm-hmm. so when we are in this situation and when we come through I would say even maybe maybe we can make an assumption that people are not just rude. And if you no. come across somebody who is looking rude and is, you know, not engaging, having their own time, maybe let's just think about it as just assume that he needs that extra help or she needs mm-hmm. that extra help. So how would you say would be the best way to approach him? So I see somebody I'm not engaging. What would be the way that you would say, okay, let's try to engage and try to support You know, before I get into that, I can also understand that um, a lot of people have restrictions. I mean, our society has restrictions. If a man approaches a child, it's a problem. Um, They're looking at why are you there? You're not supposed to communicate with the child. You mustn't interact with the child. And some parents are like, we don't want strangers interacting with our children. So there are all those barriers. However, if there's a situation that is not managed accordingly, I do not think there's anything wrong to approach the individual, try to find out, do they need help? I mean, something as simple as, hello, what is your name? And then look from there if they're able to communicate or do they have a name tag? Because some of our learners have something that identify them and has um, a parent's number or, or something because they can wander off the mall. We get a lot of cases where parents say, I couldn't find my child for like 30 minutes and nobody helped because they just saw this child and they left the child alone. But um, I think we should be more aware and be more cautious and ask Hello, what is your name? Um, what do, and check, what does the child have? Do you have a name tag? Is there a number? Can I call that number? And ask, are you comfortable if I touch you? And if the child cannot communicate, they use sign. You can try to write something on your phone. I mean, a lot of our learners have really good literacy skills. They can read. They can type something back to you. And others don't articulate themselves quite well. And if you feel you pressured and you don't understand what they're saying, you can allow them to write something to you. And I find that it works so much better. But don't be intimidating within that space, as intimidating as it might be for you. But try to create like a relaxed environment so you're showing that it's okay. I am just trying to to help. Um, with people on the spectrum, they always think they're in trouble for something. So the first reaction is for them to to panic and not know how to manage everything um, as they should. So it's up to you to create that safe environment and and use the right cues to actually help them. Right. And, and and one of the things when we look at the cues and perhaps one of the reasons that they feel consistently in trouble is because they're not picking up on social cues and they're not reading the body language and facial expression and all the nonverbal communication is not registered. So they don't know mm. if they're OK or not. And the answer that to that is that when you do suspect something like that, just communicate verbally, either with written words or with spoken words, but communicate verbally 
don't gesture, don't expect, don't try to look for nonverbal communication to see what's okay. You have to communicate verbally. Yes, definitely, definitely. And see how that comes in. When we do identify a child, so let's say, and then this comes up many times, questions from listeners, you invite friends over for a meal, and you know we're having the holidays coming up and somebody's coming over and they have a child on the spectrum or they have a, an adult on the spectrum, what can we do to accommodate? What can we do in our homes to make it more comfortable and safe for them and just make it a warm place for them to be in? Um, the first thing you would have to do is not make them feel like they are different from everyone else. Uh, the adaptations are important. However, um, some of our learners can pick up on those social cues, um, looking at how you are reacting to them, how you're looking at them, how you panicking around them, um, and that you would think that they don't understand the body language, but they actually do. It's a form of communication from you to them. So the first thing you would have to do is let them feel that they are at home. Um, obviously, like you said, it's a spectrum. So we have children that have various behaviors and you don't know what to expect. They maybe could be harming themselves with something or um, there's something in the home environment that should trigger them in a manner that you don't know. So be attentive. Um, as I think a basic thing is to remove all the hazardous stuff in the house as much as the you possibly noises, can. The noises, the stimulation, <laughs> exactly. the um, overwhelming yes, stuff. Because you could assume that, oh, this child is not going to like the noise, or maybe they do like the noise, but they, but they don't like the sound of the cutlery, for instance, or they don't like a specific sound within that household. And it's okay to investigate and find out, okay, what is making them uncomfortable um, and allow them to explore the place. Because if they, if they don't know where they are, they're most likely to, to panic, but they can explore, look around the house, it's okay, and then identify a place where they feel comfortable. With so we'll get to part. that safe place in a moment and, and yes. accommodate. I also want to comment on what you said about the, the facial expression and body language and the differences. Hi FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. 101.9 Hi FM, Hi by G. We are back and we are discussing kids, adults, people on the spectrum, and how we can accommodate them, help them create structure in their life, and just help them and support them and understand their language in interacting into society. As we know, sometimes we could speak in two different languages, but it's our job to learn their language and to see how to communicate in a better way. Right before the break, Linda, you mentioned uh, the concept of, um, you know, kids and adults on the spectrum reading body language and reading facial expression. And I think that's a very important concept to discuss because we do have a assumption in society that people on the spectrum do not have eye contact, do not have read body language and facial expression, etc. However, when we look at it even from the theory of mind point of view, which is the ability to understand other people's point of view, we can see that there's a group, a quite a big group that actually doesn't read facial expression or, or body language, etc. But there's also a whole group who, who have, uh, you know, we separated between um, cognitive uh, uh, theory of mind and between, uh, um, you know, the, the body language, right? So I'm not going to go into the professional terms, but there's a whole group of people that read body language, 
are sensitive to it, but they get lost in the interpretation of the situation. And these kids are actually more sensitive because they're reading a lot of the stimulation and they see we're not happy, they see we're upset, they see we're confused, but they don't know how to interpret it and what to do with it. And that's cognitive. What are the tools we have to be even more sensitive towards that kind of facial expression? Because it's even more confusing to us. It definitely is, and you cannot um, preempt it. Sometimes it comes natural. I find that with children on the spectrum, though, they learn from pattern and previous behaviors. So the cognitive part does catch up where, because certain experiences have happened and this is the reaction that they've gotten, they expect this. They sort of associate it to something. If your body language is reading a certain way, they associate that to a specific reaction that might happen afterwards because they're very good uh, with learning those patterns. Um, and, and like I said, it becomes very difficult to then tell yourself that, okay, I'm going to behave in this manner, but because you are trying to tap into their world and into their form of communication, you then have to learn those skills, learn that at this point, I understand that this behavior is communicating something to me, because um, from a psychological point of view, there's different point of views, if I can put it that way. Some people may look at a child's behavior as being naughty, and others are thinking, oh, he's defiant, but... If we work with autism, we understand that it's a form of communication to us, and we have to look at how do we then reach out and then address whatever they are trying to communicate to us. So one of the tools that we should equip ourselves with is unlearning that a behavior is naughtiness, but trying to understand that it's a form of communication towards something that has happened. It's not going to take a day to understand it or figure it out. It's a process, um, but that's what they need. I read a book by um, a child that was actually living with autism, and he was saying in the book that he's more anxious of human reaction because uh, they're so inconsistent and he knows that if he's done something disappointing, it's going to be so bad, but he doesn't know the degree of the bad reaction that's going to come. And he's so anxious because of another human being and their reaction, you know, as prepared as he might be, but he's not actually ready to 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 deal with the because degree he cannot, that... Because he cannot um, prepare himself to somebody else's interpretation. Definitely. He definitely cannot. And that's cannot. where he gets lost. Yes. And, and I think that's a very important thing, that we must communicate our interpretation. Because if we do get irritated or we do feel happier, whatever it is that we have, we cannot assume that they'll be able to understand. identify and, uh, and understand their Definitely. interpretation. Uh, so just going to remind everybody that we are here. I'm here with Lindy. You are from CARE, and you are leading the vocational stream yes. at CARE, which is a school for kids on with autism. Yes. And anybody who wants to join this conversation or comment or ask or say, please send us an SMS to 34519 or Telegram 061-895-1019. You could also call at 01-01-40-30-20. I know we're all very busy within the Pesach and everything and all the changes. So t while we are getting ready for Pesach, for the holiday coming up tomorrow night our houses are going through many changes we're cleaning we're moving things around things are not as consistent routines are out of order how do we keep consistency during a non-consistent and not organized time 
as unorganized as it might be um, for you, you sort of have an idea of what to anticipate for tomorrow. Um, it's messy. It's a lot. A lot could go wrong. A lot could go right. But you sort of have an idea of what's going to happen, and that's what's helping you to thrive at the moment. But for people living with autism, they have no idea at all. So they're bound to then... Um, meet a lot of challenges dealing with the day. So I find that communication plays um, a really important role in this part because if your child communicates through pictures or words or written texts or any form of communication that they use, try to use that to communicate what's to come. Um, let them know what is going to happen. What is Pesach? What is, is going to happen? If they, they learn through picture form or they understand what pictures are, you can give them that schedule or write it down to them. As much as you have it in your mind and you're ticking it off as you do the things that you're supposed to do, they need something that is almost similar to that, that they can use as a form of calmness that, okay, now I've done one, two, and three. There's this much still to come. Um, but imagine if you didn't have that, like a map that sort of guides you as to how do you manage the chaos that is about to come? So um, involve them. And I always find that if you prepare some of the learners before time, like what we do at the center is that if parents are planning a trip, for instance, or there's a holiday coming, we say tell us weeks in advance so that we can create a social story so they understand what this is going to be about. By the time it happens, it sort of makes sense to, to them. So Lindy, here's your OT side of coming out Just and the planning <laughs> and organizing. So how do we bring this? planning structure into home because we live our lives and we we just do things and we just get dressed in the morning and we just create but when we have a child and it doesn't have to be a child on the spectrum but any child who's struggling on a sensory level and with noise and and we want to create routines and understanding and consistency so here's the ot time to shine (laughs) what do we do in our homes to create you know this kind of structure and if plans are more explicit, I find that for kids, they then manage better. I know they, they anticipate things a lot and they perseverate on them over and over again. Like if I were to tell my kids, tomorrow we're going for a holiday, they will talk about that the whole time, but they know what is coming. So if you have explicit uh, plans, whether a checklist or something they can tick, something that they can scratch out to show that this is what is going to happen next, this is what is going to happen, this is what you can anticipate, I find that that it, it allows kids to be more prepared for what's to come, even if it's things that they don't like, but they have um, the awareness of what they should anticipate. I mean, going back to, to the boy I was telling you about that wrote the book, the autism book, he also spoke a lot about that, that sometimes there's things that happen in a day that he wasn't actually looking forward to them, but just knowing that they're going to happen and they're going to end. And then something else is going to come that allowed him to, to, you know, persevere through it and um, allow him to pass- participate as he should because he knows it's not going to happen the whole day. I mean, time concepts is something that is difficult for not just children on the spectrum, children in general. You know, they don't understand people in general. People in general. If you say, oh, we're going to have dinner, it's really going to take about an hour or so. For them, um, it doesn't necessarily make sense what an hour or so is. Is because it could be more than an hour, it could be less than an hour, and a lot could happen through that. But if you get like a, a just an idea where they have like even approximations that show 
this could happen about two hours, but after that, this is what is going to happen. The people are not staying the whole day. They're going to leave. Then we're going to explore this. Then this is what is going to come up. The schedule and the clear communication. Um, a checklist, I like it because it gives them power of uh, control over the day because they can see what is happening. They see what they've done and they can tick off that I've done it. It's done. Next thing is coming and they're actively participating in the day but not being passively pushed from one place to another. Exactly. And I think sometimes we underestimate our homes today because the speed of life today and the size of the houses and the tasks and the things we need to do exactly. does need to be managed like a proper structure place, school, yeah. business, whatever it is, you need to manage your home. And a child does need, especially if it's, the child's having a harder time to adopt to things, they need a checklist. They need to know what they're doing. And, you know, I haven't even spoken about what happens when you move and you change houses yes. <laughs> and everything come to that. Uh, but just a comment about, well, you know, what you said about uh, um, explicit communication and discussing um, the interpret in, uh, time and anticipation of an hour or two or three, etc. We have to be very careful of not using words that you can only understand them with interpretation. Definitely. Meaning, when I say to somebody, do it fast, there's so many interpretations and that yes. has no meaning on its own. Fast could be, well, it depends. If I'm going to the other room, it will take me a minute. If I'm going to a different city, it will take me an hour and a half. And if I'm in class and the teacher says, go to the bathroom fast, they only mean don't stop on the way to chat to anybody. Yes. They don't mean run. What are the main r words that we can think of to identify to kind of things that we use on day-to-day -day life that we shouldn't be using with people that need planning and need uh, verbal, clear communication and not and cannot interpret different situations? Mm. You know, you're actually right because then that places unnecessary anxiety on the child. Exactly. If you're saying do this qu uh, fast or quickly finish this, it, because then they can never estimate what it is. But if you like, we go back going back to explicit communication, which, which may seem like a pain because you have to do these things as frequent as possibly can, and there's so many tools involved, like using a timer, for instance. Like you have to finish your dinner within 30 minutes, or please make sure you wash your dishes by this time. You know. Nice thing with a clock is that it's really consistent. It's um, if five minutes is five minutes. It's not dependent on what another human being thinks five minutes is. You know, so for children on the spectrum, they need things that are consistent and explicit. So if you're going to use a timer, it's fair and it's uh, general across board. Everybody is assigned within that five minutes because they know what it means. But also, if it's explicit in their faces and they can go back to look at it, that oh, this is the time that I was given it makes um, it makes more sense and it keeps them much calmer but um, if you start using things like oh this is hurting my feelings your behavior is hurting my feelings and they don't understand what behavior what feelings are hurt what do you mean you are hurt you know you you should look at things like I am sad or I'm happy, you know, you did this, it made me sad. You did this, mommy is happy or daddy is happy. Um, and those, as the simplicity of the language makes it so much easier for them to understand instead of trying to be more complex and um, saying things that don't necessarily make sense to them and are not general across board. Um, so, exactly. yeah. Exactly. You know, quite a few years ago, I was running a workshop for kids on the spectrum with their parents, and we we asked the kids to make a list of painful words. 
to their parents. And the parents were fascinating, fascinated actually, but some of the words were surprising and they were very painful for these kids. Sent words like, sit nicely. What does that mean? Or one of the kids said, when my parents say, stop it already. Yes. <laughs> stop what? What am I doing? Why do you, why should I stop it already? Or, as I said, do it fast. The, yes. All these things are really, really stressful. Mm. And you find with some of the kids, sorry, that if they start learning expressive language or to, to communicate verbally, one of the words that they learn quick is stop it. That word and no, they learn it quick because they don't really like it and it confuses them. It makes them anxious. When they do something wrong, they say stop it to themselves before you can say it so that they feel like they're in control of that situation. Exactly. And, and it also helps them to know what to stop what when they yes. do it for themselves. And that's uh, extremely important, which is also why um, the, they would sometimes come across as rude because they'll say it in simple words. You are upsetting me. You are um, doing something bad and not use the diplomatic language. It just confuses them. Yes, no, definitely. And I find that with people, when we try to do like some job shadowing activities with some of our learners and we tell the managers, if you give an instruction to our learners, don't say, can you please just take these plates and put them in the sink and please bring the serviettes and stuff. As polite as you think it is for you, it's really confusing for them. You must just give the instruction. It might sound rude, but it... It gives them what they need to navigate that situation at that time. So I'm going to celebrate on that because so many times on the show we speak about our challenges in South Africa. Yes. Out of all the countries I worked in the world, that's the one area South Africa is amazing at because generally the language is very direct. You must do this. Must I do this? You can never say that in a different country. And, you know, in, in, if you go to America, the boss will tell his secretary, do you mind making me a coffee? A child in the second will say, yeah, I do mind. <laughs> and so we, and here it's make me a coffee, please. Meaning there is a, a very direct language here. And I think that is a blessing. Yes. And we need to enjoy and celebrate that kind of Definitely. communication. It's also based on different cultures, I guess, looking at the cultural context. Like in my culture, I can't just say, make me coffee. You know, it's regarded as rude. And I found that as I educate people that have the similar cultural background as me, I tell them that with children on the spectrum, this is what they might say. You know, um, some of the responsibilities they have is to serve uh, people food. You know, so they would just give them the food and walk away or they'll say, here's your food. And then someone else would be like, but that's rude. You didn't greet me. You didn't say, please enjoy your meal. Um, but I'm like, right. unfortunately, you know, that's not what they meant to do. They meant to get the job done. And that's what they did. And we can celebrate that. But the cultural backgrounds, they, yeah, they disturb. So the cultural background. So in your culture, you wouldn't say, please make me a coffee. You would say. I could, you, you as mind? long as the word please is there, can oh, you so that's fine, but it's a still a direct uh, yes, instruction. It's, it's still direct. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. No, no. I was referring to when you say, "Do you mind?" Uh, oh, or, no, that's that quite abstract. We see, <laughs> which we see overseas quite a bit. Definitely. Um, is it difficult for you, or or some, a boss could say, "Do me a favor. Can you sort out these papers?" And no, I can't do your no, favor right definitely. now. So, so that is definitely a a huge factor. In different cultures, you brought up cultures, and I think yes. it's a very important concept. Where do we see different cultures, different challenges, different dynamics when it comes to spectrum? So with the spectrum, um, what I've observed lately is that with different cultures, they assume it's something that 
could be changed within time, right? Because they don't, some cultures based on economic background and everything, they don't understand what autism is. To them, it's, it's a, it's a problem that's being experienced during childhood phase and it will be fixed. You know, no matter how many times you advise and you make the right placements, they will let you know that, listen, this is going to be fixed. The child will be fine with just some behavior modifications and, you know, discipline. This child is going to talk and they're going to do this. But you find that with other cultures that are more um, enlightened about the situation, they understand that at this point I cannot go for my preference of this type of school. I can go to a different type of school because it serves the needs of my child. But also when you're looking at the societal pressure, um, some cultures are thinking, well, my child will be identified as um, stupid, for instance. They're not able to do this, um, and the society will look at them differently because they don't have the education when it comes to, to autism. Hence, they force them into um, government schools, and they force them to thrive there, and you find that it is damaging the children because they expect the children to just integrate and, and you know go into communities and be okay. Unfortunately, it's, it's a lifelong thing, and it requires intervention. And it's for a, a way of thinking and, and language. It's not necessarily exactly. all... It, needs to be cured or a disease. It's just a way of thinking and a way of communicating. Definitely. And we need to be accommodating and work with that. Uh, do need to uh, make an announcement and then we'll continue. IFM 101.9 megahertz of life. 101.9 We are back in the middle of a very interesting, fascinating discussion, I'd say, with Lindy. Lindy is an OT and the leader of... Uh, at a leader at care, sorry, it slipped my mind right now, uh, the vocational stream at care. So, you know, we, we've been speaking a lot about the spectrum and seeing and, and different challenges and different points. Let's go back to the base where you come from and uh, of the school and the work you do, etc. And give us a taste of the different um, approaches and different learning environments and techniques and things that we use today to support the kids. Um, so going back into my work environment, um, our classroom structure is um, highly filled. It's filled with a lot of visuals. So we use a lot of visuals to help the kids navigate the day, the classroom, the schedule of the day. And um, we find that... So it's a very clear balance because we don't want to overstimulate them as well. Yes, definitely. So we wouldn't necessarily put charts that are not communicating anything, like a Mickey Mouse picture. If it doesn't serve a purpose, it shouldn't be there. Um, okay. you know, and also trying to look at how do we structure the classroom so that they understand that each space is allocated for its own function. If you in the carpet area, maybe it's for reading and circle time. Uh, if we at the table, it's time for work time. Uh, playground indicates, you know, time to play. And the therapy room is for therapy related activities. So those differences help them instead of trying to integrate everything into one and it would cause such a confusion. And we find that it allows them to be Dependent in running their schedule and if you say to them um, okay you're done with circle time now it's work time they know where to go uh, you don't need to pull all of them and say follow me we're going to this work table they can navigate this is where they're meant to go this is what is going to happen they know how long it's going to last then after this this is what is going to happen um, and like I said I think the important thing 
within like a therapy and a classroom context is understanding that you're going to experience a lot of uh, behaviors various behaviors from from various kids at various times but you need to be conscious with understanding that it's a form of communication towards something if they are unable to to adapt to the schedule at the time they are able to to demonstrate it their own way um and you don't always need to to fix everything you don't always need to to manage that behavior at that time unless it's harmful of course so um yeah we very aware of how we we look at those principles and we don't have just one principle that we use to manage behaviors or to teach um like for instance we will use like the autism specific education system which is the teach principles where we help our kids to learn but also we'll use things like floor time um you know we're using a lot of like sensory based approach to help our kids learn the educational context and also manage the social part of the school and the expectations and the pressures that okay, come I'm sure there's many continue. more things we need to talk about, but yes. I cannot hear you say floor time without talking about it at home. Because floor time is extremely important and I think very lacking in our homes, unfortunately, and very lacking in our society. Definitely. So go ahead, give us two words about floor time and let's talk about it in putting floor time into our home. And I think it's not only kids on the spectrum. Every child should have floor time time with his mom and with his dad and with his siblings and just to lead that playing and go for it. Yes, definitely. Because, I mean, it's important when you talk about the play part with floor time, some parents would identify it as an unstructured, uh, phase or an unstructured activity where they think the kids are not learning and you'll find some parents asking us what can I do with my child at home? What worksheets can you give me? What activities can you give me? But um, being able to engage in like a floor time activity where kids can pick what they want to do and you follow their lead and you help them in that manner to engage and pick up a form of engagement from them, um, it's much more helpful than forcing them to do an activity that will not help them in the future. But you are there, you are present, and you are allowing them to then be expressive in their own way, to pick something that they enjoy, learn from it. And, I mean, parents also need to understand that sometimes you can integrate your children to do some of your chores with you. You know, if you're doing cooking, you're doing cleaning, laundry and stuff, um, there's lots of sensory exploration that comes with that. There's lots of play that comes with that, a lot of language stimulation that comes with that, as long as you allow your child to, to take part freely and you're not making it as strict as you possibly can um but definitely have your toys have your puzzles have your dolls have and and look what kids want to play they might explore one thing leave it on the carpet and then move on to something else leave it there but grab let's see what they gravitate towards and what helps you click at and that a, moment to create therapy. an engagement allow them exactly. to, to see where they want to go and gravitate another aspect of it that is extremely important is and if we take this one step deeper is also many times we have kids that struggle to, with the theory of mind and struggle to understand what is expected from them what their parents think what their siblings think and if you mm. take that floor time method and have just role playing mm. and play and get different positions and hear from them we've seen wonders from kids understanding situations when they're acting as a third person understanding different um scenarios when they have two or three actors in the same game Definitely. during that game. So it's a huge, huge learning time. And especially when we're coming now to Pesach and we're coming down to holidays and time, play with your kids. Mm. Role-playing, communication, um, acting, these are things that will give them huge tools 
of understanding of theory of mind and communication. Definitely. And it helps them to whatever that they learn within a tabletop activity at school because I mean school is intensive enough for our learners. When they get home, that's the time to see if they can um use those concepts and adapt them into different um environments. Can they generalize those skills? You know, do they know one, two, three on the table, but they don't know one, two, three if we have to count three apples for instance. You know, so right. it's many very times important. they'll see three as a concept and exactly. not that it's a symbol. Yes. And numbers are used as a symbol, an amount, yeah. a and position in line. Exactly. Something you interact with in your everyday life because numeracy is all around us, literacy is all around us, and we need to be able to allow our kids to explore it their way exact, as well at home. You know, so, right. Yeah. So, so exactly that concept of bringing in from uh, the, um, you know, the school environment into that place. Definitely. Okay, we do need to take the, our last short break, and when we come back, we will end off this amazing hour. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. 101.9 We are back towards the end of the show. Um, just the message came in from you. I, I hope I'll manage to uh, read the words correctly. Thank you, Rabbi G, for the amazing show. Lindy is laying it out in in articulate and informative way. Tavonga Harara, Zimbabwe. Is that how I'm supposed to read it? Yes. You'll have to translate for me. She works with us. Okay, that's her (laughs) name. Tavonga Harara, Zimbabwe. Okay. So thank you, Tavonga, for the message and for the support. Um, So I guess she's also from CARE. So when we, ending off this hour, uh, Lindy, what is, what would you want to see in the world? What is your message to the community? What is your message to the world of communication spectrum and everything we want to see for Um, ourselves? Yeah, well, there's a lot of it to break it down. Um, I think first to look at schools, uh, like the schooling system, if we can get more understanding of what um, autism is and understanding that it's okay to adapt and um, teach concepts in a different manner, teach social skills that you think are not meant to be taught, things like greeting, you know, saying hello and goodbye. It's okay to, to teach that, and it's okay for children to learn at the pace that they're going to learn in and if you find that they're not learning, challenge yourself to look at how else can I learn, uh, teach these skills so that they, they acquire them as they should and apply them functionally. And um, for our societies to be more open-minded and, and understanding that, especially in the workplace, things don't always have to happen as we know them. Variety is good. Change is, is, is good because then it allows for that particular organization to, to open up to different people, people on the spectrum, neurotypical people. It's okay that they come in and they find all these adaptations um, and being open to understanding that communication does not only have to be verbal. It's okay to, to use pictures and to learn um, like sign languages, like the Makaton adapted sign language, uh, to learn how to use like um, a tablet or an iPad that has a communication system installed in it um, and bring that forth so that these children and these people feel like they're part of a society that accepts them, but not a society that's, that's intrigued by them, you know, so that we don't make them feel like they're a project or something we want to learn. Because sometimes it's, it's so scary I don't want to say embarrassing, but it's quite scary and shocking to see when I take a group of my learners to to a specific place and all of them watch them like, you know, 
wow, we've never seen creatures like this before. You know, and it's so evident, like you can see the shock in people's faces. And I can understand sometimes you can't control it, but we need to get to a point where we are socialized to the fact that autism is all around us. And April is Autism Awareness Month. I think we need to, to learn acceptance, learn understanding, learn to adapt and understand that variety is good. It makes you better. It makes the next person better. And it makes the next person feel that they have the exact right to be a part of this beautiful world that we have as much as you you have. Um, and that for parents to understand also that a successful child is not a child that has a successful educational um, development or successful educational marks or milestone. Uh, but Children learn differently. Achievement is achievement based on what you look at. Step Success. out of the box, as yes. you're saying. Step, <laughs> exactly. out, step out of the box, and we need to understand, and we're actually seeing it, that there's a room in this world for everybody, and everybody has a, a place and a shining and a beautiful place in this world, and we need to be accommodating Definitely. for everybody around us. Definitely. A beautiful message to end off. Thank you, Lindy. And keep up the good work you're doing there at CARE. Uh, really amazing, really inspiring. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank and you so much, and thank you a, for having me. <laughs> it's been a great show. Thank you. Yes. Thank you for being here. So another great show comes in, and next week will be Yom Tov. So we, Pesach, will not be here, but the week after. Please, God, in the meantime, have a beautiful Yom Tov, beautiful Pesach. Adopt to the changes. And remember, this is our time to be grateful as a nation. This is our freedom time, the time that we grow and we connect and we spend together in our journey to freedom and to being thankful and appreciative. Spend the time to thank the world and yourself and Hashem for everything you have. And in the meantime, manage your Pesach, stay safe, keep calm, and we will be back in two weeks, like we do every Monday between 2 to 3. Thank you, Craig, for the amazing work managing the show. And thank you for Sana for organizing this interview. And we will be back in two weeks.